and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast. Abiding Together is a place where you can find connection, rest, and encouragement on your journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Sister Miriam James Heitland, and every week I'm joined by two of my dearest friends, Michelle Bensinger and Heather Kim. This podcast is born out of our friendship of sharing all kinds of things together, our walk with Christ, our insights, our joys, sorrows, tears, and laughter, and you are most welcome on the journey with us. So grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and welcome home. Hello and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast this week and happy Easter. Again, we're journeying. We're in the fourth week of Easter now. Michelle and Heather, how are we Easter doing? We're doing great. I'm so glad in our church that we have lots of time to celebrate Easter. It's one of my favorite things, of course. So Michelle, how are you? I am good. Still smacking on jelly beans and I promise I will quit the sugar after this week, but it is (laughs) Easter people and we are in quarantine. And so that combination, you have to have sugar. (laughs) And so I am still getting over 15,000 steps a day. So life is good. You know, we're Um, doing what we can. And we have the distinct just joy, absolute joy today to welcome one of our favorite people on planet earth. And he's never been on our podcast before. So we're going to welcome him for the first time. So we would like to welcome to our episode this week, Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm just delighted to be with you. Yeah, you hanging in there during the quarantine? You know, I almost hesitate to say this, but in some ways, the quarantine has been a marvelous time. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I mean, it's been been like a retreat in a way. And I've gone back to work on a book, which I had started some, oh, maybe like a year ago. And I thought, oh, maybe in the next couple years, I'll be able to, with all my other duties, you know, it's a book on the Nicene Creed, uh, trying to read it theologically. Well, anyway, I'm almost done with it. No kidding. I have had these weeks where, you know, we've done the Zoom meetings with the bishops and the priests and all that, but I've just got more time. And I've gone back to my writing, um, you know, plenty of time for prayer, uh, exercise. I'm actually sleeping better because I'm not traveling so much. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to like belittle it. Like, oh, <laughs> but for me, there, there's been something kind of lo- lovely about this time. Even as, you know, like everybody, I'm a little crazy and antsy and I want to get back, of course, to life. But there has been something lovely about it, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's certainly a gift that God is giving all of us. It's like planet yeah. has stopped, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. <laughs> so. Yeah. And so we got to find, you know, some things that maybe we wouldn't normally do. We wouldn't have time for. And I've been recommending some of the spiritual classics that, uh, you know, it's, oh, yeah, someday I'll get to. Augustine's Confessions, or I'll get to the Seven Story Mountain, or I'll get to Dante. Well, here's your chance, you know. Here's what some, mm, we have some time. Definitely, yeah. Mm. Well, the first question that we ask our guest, uh, Bishop, is something very practical. It's how do you take your coffee? Honestly, like, tell us the truth. <laughs> Seriously, I, give us the lowdown. I love coffee. I I think the Keurig coffee maker is the greatest invention <laughs> of the 20th century. I'm I'm dead serious. I think it's just this marvelous. I remember the days, you know, you'd have to make a whole pot of coffee and then you'd waste a lot of it. And so uh, first thing in the morning, I come down, I wake up pretty early. I come down, I get a cup of coffee and I go to my chapel. And that's how I do my holy hour. And I usually have two cups of coffee during the holy hour. Oh my God. <laughs> I take it with a little bit of half and half. Yeah, very yeah. good. No, you and Sister Miriam are same. <laughs> yes, we're, we're yeah. of coffee lovers, so you just fit right. I love in. coffee. I I drink it all day, but I, I couldn't. I get a little too you know over stimulated. But I have two cups of coffee in the morning. Usually a cup of coffee then after mm-hmm. dinner. Oh, you know? But I know I love coffee. Well, wait, it's the eighth sacrament, as we all know. <laughs> just well, 
You know, you hold it and you smell it and you taste it, and it's true. It's it's lovely, you know. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah, Heather, do you want to start us off with the rest of the questions with Bishop? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, Bishop, we wanted to talk about uh, beauty in particular because we yeah. know that this is something that is very close to your heart, and it is for us as well as we try to. Mm-hmm to learn ways to evangelize and reach the culture. It seems the most natural thing because yeah. we're all drawn to it. And so just the first thing we were wondering is like, when did you first fall in love with beauty and have an experience that transcended, you know, just the natural to the supernatural? I would say a key thing for me was when I was about 12, I loved history and I was part of this book club, you know, back in the day when you actually filled out pieces of paper and sent them in the <laughs> mail and stuff. And I saw this book called Civilization by uh, Kenneth mm. Clark and in a cool cover. And when I was, I was like, let's say 12 or 13. And I thought, Oh, it must be a book about like European civilization, like the history and the, and the armies and Kings. And so I ordered that book and uh, the book came and I remember being very disappointed when I opened it up and realized, Oh, it's kind of an art book. It's about <laughs> pictures and paintings and cathedrals. So I was disappointed, but I read it. And uh, I don't know if you know that book. Mm-hmm. It was a very important book to me. And in many ways, the Catholicism series I did, you know, many years later was based on it. But that book, which is written by a great master, Kenneth Clark, you know, was mm-hmm. head of the National Gallery in London, one of the great art historians. And he opened my eyes to a lot of the most beautiful things in Western culture because he mm-hmm. goes to the, you know, Sistine Chapel, of course, and the David and but also the, the Gothic churches. That's my first introduction to the Gothic churches, which have been so important to me. Mm. I say that book was my first introduction. And, and what a terrific grace. What a great introduction. As you're, I was mentored by this very, very high figure, uh, Kenneth Clark. And I still have that, that self-same book uh, is up in my room someplace. And it's been like one of the great books of my life. So that probably was the breakthrough. Mm, that's amazing. That's astounding to be that young, Bishop. I mean, did you realize at a young age you had an intellectual and kind of a artistic kind of bent? Or I mean, was that something that you knew about yourself or did you discover that along the way? Well, I always loved books. And uh, my my mother, who's now 98 oh years old, and she's uh, hanging in there, but having a tough time with this whole coronavirus mm, thing. Yeah. She lives in this living place, you know. But uh, my mom got for my brother and me and my sister the World Book Encyclopedias. Mm. Uh, so, again, we're talking early 60s here, you know. <laughs> so this was our version of the Internet. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was like, you know, I don't know, 20 or so volumes of an encyclopedia. And I don't know why, but I just I love those books. As a little kid, I would just open them up and I pour over them. And almost anything that I've experienced in my life, I first experienced in the pages of that of those uh, encyclopedias. So whether it's, you know, Paris or you know, it's Notre Dame Cathedral or it's the presidents or what, I first learned about them in those books, which are full of words, but also a lot of pictures. And mm-hmm. so that's where I realized I, I loved books, ideas. Um, I was good in school, you know. Uh, I, I discovered I, I've done a lot of drawing and painting, too, over the years. And I discovered that when I was in fourth grade and we had art class. We went outside. And the teacher said, just, just find something and, and draw it, mm. you know. And I found a tree. It's it's still there. It's by the, <laughs> my home parish, St. John of the Cross in Western Springs, Illinois. And it was this kind of distinctively shaped tree. And I, I drew it, you know. Mm. And he came by and he said, well, that's pretty good. Like, you know, I, I knew I had some ability to at least imitate forms. 
So the intellectual, the artistic were there. Yeah. Pretty early on. Mm, that's amazing. Okay. They didn't, they told me, I don't know if I could ask you or not, but I'm going to ask you anyway, how many books do you have in your library? Like I'm obsessed. I'm a big book. I mean, I'm a huge book lover also and a voracious reader. So how many books do you have in your personal library? I just have to know. I don't know. Honestly, I've got, my books now are in four or five different places. They're, um, they're here in my office in Santa Barbara. I've got another group upstairs in my room, another group. I've got a couple of rooms in LA because I've got to get back mm-hmm. and forth to Los Angeles a lot. And I've got a couple of rooms there. And so I, I've got books there. Then I've got books at the word on fire <laughs> office, which is here in Santa Barbara. So we took all my books I had when I was at Mundelein uh-huh. as teacher and rector, and we moved them out here, but we couldn't fit them all in one place. I don't know, honestly, how many there are. I love uh, it. Yeah. It's the downside for me now is I'm, I'm kind of lost with the book. I don't know where they are. You know, they're all in different places mm-hmm. and frequently, and I, if you, I don't know if you can see, we have a, the videos up here while we record, but right next to my, to my desk is this pile that I'm working on this book on the Cree. But whenever I think of a book, I, oh, oh, I'd like to find that one. No idea where it is. <laughs> I have no idea where it is. Okay. That, uh, me too. That makes me feel so much better. Yeah. You know. I love books. Oh. I love I love the feel of a book, you know, and the smell mm-hmm. of a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, you know, bookstores are fading away. We've got a great one here in Santa Barbara, right near my house, called Chaucer's Bookstore. Old-fashioned bookstore, mm. big, lots of books and cool, uh, not just pop things, but, you know, books on Kant and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I love it. But I, I feel bad for the younger generation for whom bookstores are, are fading away. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I love Amazon. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I love being able to order a book, but I've, I've always loved them. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think there's something amazing about you because you have this love for history and this love for literature and this love for civilization, you know, which feeds mm-hmm. into beauty, which I love Like yeah. watching you um, teach Balthazar. Like he leads, you know, with beauty and he yeah. always feels like beauty can almost possess us. You know, so for us as laity, like, well, Heather and I, for laity, like, how would you say, how can the laity like be possessed by beauty and how do we evangelize in beauty in this culture right now? Well, to be possessed by beauty is uh, in some ways the the finest, most sublime thing in life. Mm -hmm. You know, as as Balthar would say that aesthetic arrest when the truly beautiful stops you in your tracks. That's why, you know, it always kind of infuriates me when people talk about the beautiful is merely subjective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, something I happen to like. And I mean, give me a break. Because <laughs> the, the truly, no, but I mean, it, the truly beautiful do, doesn't submit to our little whims and mm-hmm. our little preferences. And, oh, I like that. I mean, who cares? The, the mm-hmm. truly beautiful stops you in your tracks and seizes you and takes control of you mm-hmm. and doesn't let you go. You know what I'm saying? It's like, the same, that's why they're related, the true and the good, the beautiful. Oh, the truth, that's just a subjective whim. It's its just a matter of relativism. Come off it. <laughs> I mean, when something is really true, like two plus three equals five, and you grasp that as true, it's not a matter of your little stupid opinion or, you know, oh, I, I'm going to ratify that. Two plus three being equal to five doesn't care a whit about what whether you like it or not. <laughs> the same is true of the beautiful. You know what I'm saying? So that I, I'm resistant to it, it's in the um, it's in the modern culture so deeply that mm. it's everything is subject to my decision and I'll make that uh, don't tell me what to think and I decide 
that locks us into such a little narrow space, you know, of, of my little world that I will choose to ratify. Come on. The great things in life are when the good, the true, and the beautiful break through our little subjectivities. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they, they seize us and they make us change. Um, Jesus always had that effect on people. You know, he was constantly stopping and, and shaking and startling and breaking through. And that's what the true and the good and the beautiful do. Um, and we have to learn to be servants of them. And, you know, I think of, of James Joyce, the great novelist, who, if when you read his portrait of the artist as a young man, that's what he realizes, that my job, my vocation now is to be a reporter of epiphanies, he called them, you know, when, when the beautiful really breaks through. Well, what I love about that is Joyce certainly has an ambiguous relation to the church and all that, but mm. he still saw himself as a servant of something greater than himself. It wasn't like his sovereign subjectivity was setting the tone for life. No, no, no. That's such a boring and God help our younger people that are so in the grip of that ideology, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, no, let the beautiful break through the carapace of your own uh, self-regard, your your own little world. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, let in the light, as Chesterton said, let your head be cracked open. It lets in the light, mm. you know. So th- that's, I- I'm, I'm ranting here, but I'm, I apologize. But no, th- that's good. what the good and the true and the beautiful do to us, I think. I think that's one of the beauties of what you were saying earlier this time of quarantine, although there is a tremendous yeah. amount of suffering and hardship for some people because we are moving at a slower pace. There yeah. is an incredible opportunity for us to experience that pause and recognize, yeah. I was saying to you, being from Vancouver, we are so blessed up here with the mountains and the, just the yeah. stunning beauty outside. Um, but I think for people now, that could be one gift that if yeah. they take the time to pause and look up, that they could experience beauty in a whole new way. No, quite right. Yeah, quite right. And that's what prayer is in some ways. Prayer mm-hmm. is, is stopping and taking a very deep contemplative look at, at the real. You know, if, if God is, Thomas says, the ends realissimo, right? God's the realist thing. Uh, that whenever we really get in touch with reality, and that's what the truth is all about, that's a, that's a taste of God. Mm. Uh, if God is beauty itself, God is the yeah. good itself, mm-hmm. then good and beautiful things give us a, a taste. But you're right that sometimes we have to pause and let ourselves be stopped and and we have to move into a contemplative frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And don't you think, Bishop, I, I, you know, we talk about Christ being so beautiful. And I think there's something about beauty that makes us vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, John Paul II is very well known for his letter to artists, but Pope Benedict wrote an astounding letter to mm-hmm. artists as well. I'm sure you were. He talks about in that how beauty pierces us and makes us long for eternity. Yeah. It like pulls and it makes us small. It makes it just it, like you said, we're seized by it. And I think it's unnerving mm-hmm. at, to people at times. You know, like you said, you can ration away the good and the true. But when beauty pierces you, it makes you vulnerable. And makes you ache for something you can't articulate. And sometimes people mitigate against that at all costs. Yeah. What you're naming there, sister, is, is what C.S. Lewis saw as, as the best and worst in life. Mm. And what he meant was that those moments when, and we all know what that's like, when you, you said something that's so beautiful, whether it's a passage in Shakespeare or it's a, you know, the, uh, the sunset or it's a beautiful person or face or whatever it is, you know, that we, we rejoice in that, we revel in it. But then there's that aching Mm. quality because you realize a it's going to fade like the sunset's a good example of that like just Mm. for a 
We had the other day here in Santa Barbara, everybody was outside within minutes because there was a, it's one of those weird, like a little rain burst. And then, and then the, suddenly the clouds cleared, the sun came out and then this magnificent rainbow, like end to end, complete rainbow appeared. So everybody just went out in the street and we're taking pictures of it lasted five minutes. You know, I'd say like rainbows do it's gone. Well, same is true as we know of, of people and faces and, and whatever it is, the beautiful, it, it ravishes us and then it disappears because it's a servant of, of a higher beauty and it makes us long. That's what Lewis called mm. joy. It, you know, the, the, it's, it's not like something uh, superficial, but it's, it's that deep longing of the heart for the source of the good, and the true and the beautiful. Uh, but it's the best and worst thing in life in a way. (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is because it's that longing and you don't know exactly where to put it, you know, or where it goes Mm -hmm. or what it happens to. Yeah. So for the laity, like just your normal person that's sitting in the pews, what would you say would be the first step to encountering beauty? Like just paying attention or being aware? Be alive to it. Be alive to it. Now, you know, Aquinas' famous definition of the beauty occurs at the intersection of consonantia, integritas, and claritas. So integritas is wholeness, mm. right? It, it hangs together. Consonantia is all the parts fit together. It's a harmonious quality. And then claritas is, is um, shine or radiance, you know? Uh, that's a wonderful definition of the beautiful, whether it's a beautiful painting a beautiful building, or like I say as a golfer, like a beautiful golf swing. <laughs> if you watch one of the really great golfers, uh, you notice all three of those things very clearly, mm-hmm. integritas. When you look at a bad swing like mine, if you were to film my swing, it it's not about one thing. Like it's it doesn't hang together. It, it's got weird extraneous elements and corrections, and you know what I mean? And therefore, it doesn't have consonancia. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have harmony. It, one part is out of step, like, oh, no, no, you don't turn that quickly because it'll get you. And then you come over the top and you'll hit the ball. It doesn't have consonancia. It's got a sort of cacophonous quality. And then it doesn't shine. And and claritas, beautiful radiance, means the shining forth of the form. Hmm. Like when you see a truly great golf swing, you Tiger or someone like that, Jet Nicholas, and you say, wow, wow, that is a golf swing. Like that is what it's supposed to look like, right? So that's claritas. It's the manifestation of the form. Um, so those are the three things to look for. When they come together, Aquinas says, you have the beautiful. So I think be on the lookout. That's James Joyce, yeah. to be on the lookout for epiphanies. Now, Joyce had the transcendent skill then to write about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't all have that. But to be to be alive to the beautiful, to look for it whenever you see it, Um and maybe in unusual places. Uh, and for us religious types, you know, we can fall into the, the danger, the, the uh, uh, difficulty of saying, well, only very clearly holy things are, are beautiful. Mm. Well, no, no. I mean, look in secular art and film and all kinds of things. You can find the beautiful. Now, it's often mixed in with a lot of other stuff that isn't so good. Okay, but find it and isolate it and, and point to it. Um, and the same with the good and the true, you know, so the good is what appeals to the will, the truth that appeals to the mind, wherever they appear, the, the Aquinas said that, you know, that whenever the true appears, it's, it's something of God. Mm-hmm. 
And so whether it's in, you know, it's in an ancient philosopher like Aristotle, it's in a Muslim commentator like Averroes, it's in a Jewish rabbi like Moses Maimonides, wherever Thomas found it, he said, oh, good, there it is, there's the truth. So that's what I think we do with the beautiful as well. That's why in, in my work, you know, I, I started on YouTube with film commentation or commentary, and I still do that. I still do it. From, I don't see films as much, but um, if you see something beautiful, uh, talk about it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I appreciate so much about you, Bishop Barron. It's a gift that you are able to to extract what is good and true and beautiful out of the culture and present it mm-hmm. through a, a Christian lens and worldview. And I think that's very hard for a lot of people in the yeah. church in their in their desire to be holy and to resist temptation and keep out yeah. bad things. Sometimes they completely shut out, you mm-hmm. know, things that are in the culture and it's at the expense of beauty to be found there. So what would you say for people who are struggling with like, how do I engage in the culture without being taken away from my relationship? relationship with God, um, but to experience that that beauty there. I'd say what Newman said, namely, assimilate what you can, even as you resist what you must. Mm, so Newman quote. compared it to um, an animal moving through its environment. So if you have an animal that's roaming around, if the animal is completely acquiescent to his environment, he'll be dead in very short order because he's not resisting what he has to resist, whether that means fighting or running or resisting disease or whatever it is. At the same time, if if all he does is resist his environment, he'll also die because then he won't eat anything. He won't take anything in from the environment. So the church, Newman felt, was moves through history, time and space, a bit like that. It it assimilates what it can. So it's always on the lookout for, you know, what, what can I use? What can feed me mm. here? What, what can I take to myself? Which I think is part of the Catholic genius, of course, that we've done that like crazy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We've taken to ourselves what we can from the uh, secular environment or the, or the whatever the environment is. Uh, but at the same time, you resist what you have to because there are certain things in the environment that are really toxic to us. And if we're taking it all in, well, then we're making ourselves sick. Now, I'm going to oversimplify, but when I was coming of age, uh, at the time just after Vatican II, we were so into the culture. Mm. It was like culture, culture, culture that we just took everything in. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't good for us. <laughs> and it made the church sick in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And when I started writing, when I finished my doctorate, that's what a lot of my early writing was about. When I was going after beige Catholicism and I was talking about the, the dangers of, of a Catholic liberalism, that was, that was too acquiescent to its environment. Mm-hmm. You know, it was too mm-hmm. uncritical. Uh, the culture was always right. You know, we we're always corrupt mm-hmm. and wrong unless you know, well, no, the, the culture's got a lot of fallen things in it that we should resist. And the culture has things that are true and good and beautiful, seeds of the word, right, as the church fathers call them. So you've got to do both. And, um, you know, if you want to do the liberal conservative thing, the, the danger of both sides is that liberals can say all for the culture, conservatives are all against the culture. And think of Newman. you got to be both. Mm. <laughs> you got to be a little deft and a little... Um, um, you know, like a, like a good tennis player that's able to respond as the ball moves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you've got a tennis player that can just, just as a good forehand, well, figure that out quickly. Just hit all of his backhand, 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 backhand. You'll beat him uh, or vice versa. He's, he's only good at charging the net. Well, then just keep throwing the ball over his head. It's easy to beat someone like that. Mm. So see, the church is like a good tennis player. It, it has a good forehand and a good backhand. 
In other words, it can resist the culture. It can engage the culture. Mm -hmm. It can go toward it. It can go away when it has to. Because if we just do one of those, and that's the danger of an excessive liberalism or excessive conservatism, Mm. the culture will beat us easily. Mm -hmm. It'll figure that out Mm -hmm. very easily. It'll outmaneuver us and we'll lose the game. So I'm shifting metaphor from the animal through the environment now to uh, to the tennis player. But, but you see my point. Then the church has, has got this both and quality to it that enables it to stay alive. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that's that's the beautiful thing. And I wonder, Bishop, for you, because I know that you engage in a lot of um, outlets that aren't Christian or necess- I mean, not even believers. And I know you get a lot of heat for that. And Thank like, you. how do you and I love that you continually engage people like Ben and Jordan Peterson yeah. and like at Reddit, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And how do you personally discern that? I mean, I know you get so many requests, like when somebody, especially people outside, like say the Catholic circles, how do you discern personally what interviews you give and what you say? That must be so fascinating mm-hmm. to even Absolutely. consider. Yeah. But you know, a good example too is, uh, is Dave Rubin, who's out here in, uh, in LA yeah. and Dave's got a very strong kind of YouTube mm-hmm. internet presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave is, is a gay man in a gay marriage. He, when I first met him, declared himself as an atheist. Um, but they reached out to me, and I, I didn't know much about him at the time. But my Word on Fire team, a lot of them knew him, and said, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah, he's something, someone good to talk to." And we watched some of his things, you know. And he seemed like he was a very open-minded guy, and talked to a lot of different people. Didn't seem to be, you know, aggressive and all that. And so, all right, you know, I'll I'll talk to him. And uh, we have kind of a almost a prejudice in favor of what we call the odd extra, you know, the kind of going outside mm-hmm, the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's that's just a good thing. If, if people are willing really to engage me, they're not just playing some polemic game or they're not just they hate mm-hmm. the church and they're trying to, you know, take advantage of me. Uh, like when I went up to, to Google and Facebook and Amazon, I spoke at all three of those headquarters. They couldn't have been more open and, you know, willing to listen uh, Apple, we tried, and Apple said, I've said a few things against uh, gay marriage. They wouldn't have me. I said, well, okay. Oh. No. All right. Mm. Fine. You know, but the other ones didn't give me any any problem. So I went. And what I tried to do, and I did the same thing when I went uh, to Washington to speak at Congress, is uh, I don't think leading right away with all the hot-button issues that divide us is the best policy. Mm. I think you lead with something else. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll get there, but, it, you know, this is, as they say, a marathon, not a sprint. You know, I mean, I can't present the entirety of Catholic life in 45 minutes. <laughs> so maybe we'll start with something that uh, it's a point of contact. Here's something we might have in common that we could base a conversation on. So that's always been my uh, approach. I think beginning in, in a stance of opposition, I mean, I don't know where that's going to get us. It, uh-uh. it might no. make some of your supporters say, oh, that guy, boy, he's taking a strong stand. But if the goal is I'm trying to bring people to Christ, you know, encouraging my cheerleading section is not really what I'm trying to do. <laughs> um you know what I mean? So that's how I, I look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your conversation with Jordan Peterson, there were so many beautiful moments in there. Mm-hmm. And especially when you were taking things from movies and literature and you were speaking his language, you know, it was just such a beautiful example of what you're talking about, where you were specifically that that point where you're talking about going all the way down and the two yeah. hands of justice and mercy. Mm-hmm. And, and Jordan was so moved by it. And I thought, wow, this is just stunning, you know, yeah. this conversation. Yeah, it was, you know, I I'd been following him for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I never, I still haven't met him. The only time we really met was through that uh, that conversation. 
and um, yeah, I mean, I, I find a lot of things in him intriguing and interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't agree with him on everything. When when I spoke sure. to the, the bishops, what was that, a couple years ago or something, and I, I mentioned how I thought Peterson was a sign of hope that here's the yes. guy talking about serious yep. matters and indeed about the Bible and getting millions of young people. So I just said, I think, brothers, that's a kind of interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Well, people came down to me. One person said, you know, Bishop Barron now claiming Jordan Peterson as the foundation of his apologetic. I'm like, oh, oh no. Oh, my goodness. And I, I responded by saying, I don't even believe in God as far as I can tell. I mean, so he's the basis of my apologetics. I mean, I, all I was saying was, here's someone that might be worth having a conversation with. Mm, and yeah. talk yes. about someone who was, at the time anyway, really influencing the culture. Yes. So yeah. I think that should always be the churches. And, you know, my model is my old friend, St. Thomas Aquinas, mm. is my model. I mentioned whether it's Averroes, Avicenna, Al-Farabi, Avicebron, Moses Maimonides, Aristotle, Cicero, Plato. I mean, these are all people that are outside the Bible. They're outside yeah. of religion. They're not Catholics. And yet Thomas was in vibrant dialogue with all of them, you know. So he's mm. my he's my model. Mm. So, Bishop, when you're dealing with, so you have such a strong online presence, and that's one of the things that we like about you, because it's like a new frontier for the church, and you're one of the pioneers in this new frontier. You know, you're going where the people are. The people are in social media, so yeah. you're casting yeah. your nets out deep there. So how do you monitor, like, or how do you all deal with, like, the criticism? Like, because there's something about just the unkindness and uncharitableness of the social media, and it seems like to, like, even with everything that's going on in our pandemic, it seems like people's claws are almost out in some ways, you know? So how do you navigate that? Yeah. You know, with difficulty and with, um, with, uh, blood, sweat and tears in a way. Yeah. I mean, I, I was first, um, when I, it was a YouTube years ago when I put videos on YouTube, I didn't even know you could comment on YouTube video. <laughs> and I, I found out, I'm like, Oh my gosh. I, I, mean, I couldn't believe what people were saying. And I, I thought it was some innocent little commentary and, but the fact that I was a priest talking about religion, so you've got that. You've got the atheist agnostic crowd that just hate religion and they hate the Catholic Church or the priesthood. And so I got used to that, you know. And um, I learned over time to ignore ninety eight percent of it, <laughs> but also to look for in some of it, okay, some possibilities or again seeds of the word or. You know, no, actually, it was something you're saying here is true, and and I wonder if I can engage you there. Or, you don't know what you're saying here. That's not correct. So it, it gave me a certain toehold, you know, in that world. The other one recently was that, uh, what do they call it, Reddit, Reddit, AMA, you know, the Ask Me Anything. Mm-hmm. I've done it twice now. Yes. And I, I told the bishops this, that, you know, these they don't these people know who I am, really. But the first time I did it, I was the third most popular one in the year behind uh, Bernie Sanders oh, wow. and somebody else. Yeah. That's wonderful. And then last I year, it. I did That's it. That's kind of the time. That was number two. Wow. And again, not because, oh, they think, they don't know who I am, but I came on saying, um, I'm a Catholic bishop who loves to talk to atheists and non-believers. That's all I said. So you, the good news is, boy, did people come on in great numbers. Uh, the bad news is, man, was there a lot of vitriol and hatred, again, from the you know anti-religion crowd. But, all right, you make your way through it, and you find some conversations you can have. That's okay. Mm. Um, then you've got you got the Catholic left and the right, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who can be just as, as brutal and unforgiving and all that. So I, I, 
I just think it's it's that's a bad strategy to to do that. I I, mean, I think you do what Aquinas and Newman and uh, C.S. Lewis and Chesterton tried to do, which is to engage the culture with the faith in a sort of winsome way. Mm-hmm. So none of those people I just mentioned was like harshly polemical yes. in their approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are my models. And uh, so the critique comes with the, with the territory, yeah. unfortunately, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. so it goes. So your willingness to gauge is incredible. And it, we just have a few minutes left, Bishop, before we talk about our one thing, but we want to know, like as a person, what, what are you personally passionate about? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like you as a man, you've been a priest for so many years. Now you're a bishop and you're entrusted with souls and you're a man of many interests and, and many loves in that way. Like what, what are you mm-hmm. passionate about? Like what just fires your heart up? Oh, everything we've been talking about. I mean, I, I get out of bed every morning with great enthusiasm because I love um, I love reading. I love writing. I love preaching. I love speaking about the faith. Um, and that's really what I do. You know, that's my life in a way, both as a bishop, because as a bishop, I'm always heading out to some parish or, or give a talk or to preach or to preside at the liturgy. Um, I'm not as crazy about the administrative, you know, going to all the meetings. <laughs> That wouldn't, you know, get me out of bed so much in the morning. But all the other stuff. And then this word on fire work. And uh, I've always loved it. Reading, writing, speaking, teaching, um, Mm. evangelizing. All that, you know, makes me very passionate. And, um, you know, that that gets me out of bed with a lot of enthusiasm every morning. Mm -hmm. And you can tell it emanates from you. And I think you said one time in one of your talks that at the end of the day, everybody will always listen to an enthusiastic Mm -hmm. speaker. You know, Yeah, that's Aristotle. So at the end of the day people listen to an excited speaker. And I, and I think that's dead right. You know, and it, if you can't muster enthusiasm for what you're talking about, how do you expect the audience to? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's, that's old Aristotle, you know, a long time ago said that. Beautiful. Well, at the end of every episode, we, uh, we ask our guest and we offer one thing for the week, uh, Bishop. So it could be whatever you want, anything from small and innocuous to something major, but what would you say, what's your one thing for the week? What's really your, something you're absolutely delighting in this week? Oh, you know what? I'll tell you, we've been kind of climbing <laughs> high mountains of thought every year, but this ESPN program on the bulls, yes, you know, it's so good. The last day, <laughs> I watched two episodes of it last night and of course I'm in Chicago and, yeah. and I, I lived through the Michael Jordan period. And it was a great mentor of mine, my senior Bill Quinn, uh, now with God. Mm. But uh, he loved uh, basketball, loved the Bulls. And so I was a young priest at the time. It was the old Chicago Stadium before the United Center. And Bill said, we're going to go because you need to see Michael Jordan play. Oh, wow. This would have been like 1990. No, it was, it was, it was like 1989, maybe. So uh, I, I, you know, watched the Michael Jordan years with great interest. And I, I watched the two last night. One was on Phil Jackson. Yeah. One was on Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that stuff vividly. And I actually liked the treatment of Rodman. I thought it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I know that's we've gone from the sublime to the maybe ordinary there, but the, the Bulls <laughs> show, just fine. I well, think, is mm-hmm. really good. No. <laughs> I love that. Heather, what about you? What's your one thing for the week? Uh, well, I've been sort of sharing over the course of the last couple of years, this journey of building our new home and moving onto property. And along with building our home, we, my parents built a home that's attached to ours. And so finally, oh. two days ago, they moved in and it has been just pure delight oh, and a dream come true. And we're talking about beauty day and it's so fitting because, you know, they just like walk through the hall and they came 
over yesterday and our kids were all ha- we're all hanging out in the kitchen just having a laugh and eating food together and Aww. it is just yeah it truly is a dream come true so my one thing this week are my dear parents i'm just so grateful for them and um Good. yeah it's gonna be awesome yeah how about you michelle I in perfect Michelle form. I have two one things. I choose all. So um, <laughs> my first in honor of um, Bishop Barron is I've been reading Father Paul Murray's book on St. Catherine of Siena that you Catherine, all published. Oh, good. Yes, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. is it is great. It is amazing. And he had me yeah. when he took Mary Oliver and St. Catherine of Siena because Mary Oliver is probably one of my favorite poets and blended it together. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you had me at hello there. Um, it's a great book. Bro. Oh, so good. So good. And the NFL draft. My, um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bishop Barry could do the Bulls. I'm doing the NFL draft. My favorite player went number seven, and I was really excited. He's playing for the Panthers, but that's okay. And so, um, yeah, you should have seen Sister Miriam and I's text message thread about the draft. You know, she's like, do you even think we're yeah. going to even have football in the fall? I'm like, it's a prophetic act of hope. The draft is a prophetic act of hope. We yeah. have got to believe people <laughs> it'll come back it'll come, it'll come back, back. <laughs> and sister you please <laughs> yeah i hope so my one thing for the week is a is a book that i've been reading by cardinal willette called friends of the bridegroom and it's on a renewed mm. vision of celibacy and i absolutely love it it is so beautiful and he's sketching out kind of you know people's oppositions of it and the history of celibacy and the heart of a priest fully alive for christ and i'm just really enjoying it it's just so beautiful yeah. I haven't read that yet. I've heard about it, but I have not read it yet. Yeah, it's I like Cardinal Lett a lot. Yeah, he's very mm-hmm. smart. Yeah, very smart. Just really, just really a wonderful, wonderful, you know, representation of the truth of the heart of a priest and why, why that you know allows us to to see God. So it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Bishop Aaron, for being. Um, with You're us welcome. In the episode. Maybe My we'll have a blessing before we go. Yeah. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. With your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you and remain with you forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. And God bless you, dear listeners. We pray that this week you will be encountered by beauty and that beauty would reveal the face of God to your hearts, minds, and souls. So thank you again, Bishop Aaron. Good being with you all. Thanks. God bless you. Thank you so much. If our podcast has blessed you, would you please consider financially supporting Abiding Together via Patreon? Patreon is a website where people can make donations to help keep the podcast going. And now that we at Abiding Together have an independent platform, we have a number of costs that go into creating the podcast and the high quality content we offer, such as our website, design, tech support, staff, and other elements. Having an independent platform also allows us to explore and create new content for all of our listeners to enjoy. So thank you so much to all of you who are already donors. When you donate through our page on Patreon, you are able to donate any amount, $1 a month, $5 a month, $500 a month, or just a one-time offering. Abiding Together is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, and donations are tax-deductible. So would you please prayerfully consider giving to Abiding Together? If you donate $15 or more per month, you become a tribe member, and you will receive a short individual video from Michelle, Heather, and I each month about a variety of topics. You can see all of the information on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash abiding together podcast. So consider becoming a supporting member today and help us further the work of the Holy Spirit moving in and through this community. Together, we can do amazing things. We are so grateful for your support and may God bless you.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? Could you also leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? That helps us get the message out to as many people as possible. All the show notes are in your podcast app, but if you'd like them emailed to you, you can go to our website at abidingtogetherpodcast.com and subscribe. On our website, you will also find all of our past episodes and information about various episodes. You can also join our private Facebook group and get in on the discussion and all the beautiful things that are happening there. We are so glad that you are on the journey with us. And until next week, we'll be abiding together. God bless you.